This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. This week, I sit down with Sherry Hoppen. We discuss the years she spent addicted to alcohol, how it impacted her relationships, and life after being flat on her face, fully surrendering her addiction to God. Sherry's journey is chronicled in her book, Sober Cycle, Pedaling Through Recovery One Day at a Time. It's honest, humorous, and helpful. As we begin today's episode, I want to invite you to join the Grace Enough community. You will instantly receive 10 free scripture prayers, and each month you'll receive episode highlights, resource recommendations, and the opportunity to recommend future guests, offer feedback, and simply interact more easily. Make it happen by visiting graceenoughpodcast.com or click the link in your podcast player's show notes. Good morning, Sherry, and welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. Good morning, Amber. It's great to be here with you. Well, tell everybody a little bit about yourself, your family, and what you do on a day-to-day basis. I'll start with my family. Um, My husband and I, Craig, have been married for, it'll be 37 years this week, and um, yeah, we really celebrate that. Anniversaries are a big deal, um, especially in today's world, I think. So, Absolutely. And it's hard to believe that we have been together that long. And you look at how long ago that was, and you're two entirely different people now, you know. But God knew what he was doing because we're yeah still together, still going strong. So, Isn't it interesting, though, like in your first anniversary, you think so much like, oh, this is so great, and you're celebrating, and then mm-hmm. you have kids, and it gets a little bit less, and then as you get older and further into your marriage, you're like, this really is the good stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. we're making it. Like, we're doing it. <laughs> we're, we are doing this, and yeah, I remember babysitting for someone way back in the day, and they were going out, and it was their 10-year wedding anniversary, and I thought, God, that's old. That is old, and no, nope. Right? Nope. You're like, no, you're still a baby in your marriage. <laughs> you're still a baby, but yeah, you think you know it all, especially oh, that yeah. first year, but it's kind of funny. We go to a wedding now, and we're like, they have no idea. They have no idea what's going on. I know, and I hate to be like that skeptic, but I'm like, you really don't. You yep, really don't. Yep, you're going you're gonna to need to be strong, but anyway, so our kids are, um, we have a girl, boy, girl, and they are 35. 32 and 26, they're all married. And the two older ones have some kiddos. So we have three grandsons, Aww. no girls, just a, a lot of rough and tumble. And I know about um, that. Yeah, yeah, you do, don't you? Do. Um, yeah, we, I'm, but it's fun. And they all live pretty near to us. And um, so we get to see them often. And uh, boys are just, they're just fun. They are, they are. yeah. They are a lot of fun to, you know, to watch grow up. Yeah, they're exhausting. I love it when they go home, but I love it when they come. You know, so it's, uh, yeah, it's it's they're definitely a handful, but um, it's fun to see your kids as parents too, and 
you know, observe them and what they do differently from you or what you see them doing the same of is, is kind of neat too. So, um, yeah, so they're all, you know, you feel like we love our in-law kids too. Um, we feel very blessed because I don't think that you realize when your kids are about, when they're dating and getting married, that they're going to bring another person into your family. And that's quite an awakening because that could really upset your family dynamic Mm -hmm. or it could make it even better. And I feel like all three of our in-law kids have done that. We just adore them. So that's a gift. Yes, it is. And they all get along really good too. So that's not always, they're all very different, but I think that's what helps them get along so well. So, um, and, and for me, my time is spent, my full-time job now is about all things recovery. Um, we have a ministry called She Surrenders and um, I write, I speak, um, I talk with women all day long and um, we hold recovery meetings. That's a big part of my life. Everything, you know, kind of revolves around that. Yeah. Well, and we're going to talk so much more about why you're so passionate about recovery programs and addiction and all of the things that go into that. And so, as we begin to dive into that story, share a little bit. I love for people to just have this foundation um, of where my guests are coming from when it comes to their faith journey. And so a little bit of the backstory on you know, how you came to know Jesus and kind of what your early faith walk with him was like. So I was raised in a Christian home, um, Christian Reformed Church, actually. And I did all the things, um, Calvinettes, which is gems now, catechism, Sunday school, youth group, church twice on Sunday, and in the summer vacation Bible school, we live in like a very country area, so there's a lot of country churches, and I went to every VBS I could go to, and I think I, they're fun, and every time they said, if you want to come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, come forward, so I did, just to make sure, so I was Always take sure that salvation sticks. Yes. My mom would like, did you do it again? And I'm like, yes. And she's like, Sherry, you don't have to do that all the time. So I just, I loved just wherever the crowd was too, you know, wherever um, my friends were going to be, that's where I wanted to be. And yeah, and I went to the Christian school. And um, so my faith and my understanding of who Jesus was, was very solid in my life. And um, I think my parents and that I went to did a really good job of that, of cementing that in me. So I feel like I've always known the Lord and that walking with Jesus has been part of my life. That's awesome. I mean, because I, and people who are regular listeners of my show probably get tired of hearing me say this, but I'm like, you know, sometimes we want this, oh, your story's not, you know, that fancy with salvation and all of that. And I'm like, oh no. I mean, the greatest gift is if people in your life showed you who Christ was early on, Mm because then you have this foundation early. Um, Mm -hmm. And while you still have to backtrack and undo some lies because we're human beings and all of those things, Mm -hmm. still, there's something, you know, that you have that I don't necessarily have. So anyways, there was a season in your life where you would would have labeled yourself addicted follower of Christ. Will you kind of take us back to that season and share how alcohol addiction really became a part of your story and um, how you became so passionate now about helping other women who are walking through the same struggle? 
so many different things come to mind. And the first thing that I always think of is that there's a saying in AA that alcohol is cunning, baffling, and powerful. And I don't think that could, there could be a more accurate description mm-hmm. of what alcohol is. Um, I look at alcohol in the store and I'm almost confused by the fact that you could just buy it. Mm. It's accessible than that. Um, however many ounces of liquid has the power to undo my whole life. And I, I look at that and it's just astounding to me, but there was a time when alcohol was a completely normal part of my life. And, you know, I drank socially without any problems and, you know, we, we camped, we did all the things, you know, and I do know that looking back that I drank always a little more than everybody else. And I, I look back and go, you know what, the devil had his claws in it because there is a history of addiction in my family mm-hmm. and I should have known better. But I also had this false belief that I was in total control and that was not going to happen to me. And by taking a drink at any point in my life, um, I was at risk. The genetics are very strong when it comes to alcoholism. But I, I thought I knew better. And there came a point where I decided, I mean, I made a decision that I needed to hide what, how much I was drinking. Like I wanted to drink more than what was socially acceptable or the time of day. And I remember the first time that I hit it in our bathroom and I looked in the mirror and I said out loud to myself, you're going to have to fix this. You're going to have to deal with this. But right now it's working and working for what? I mean, there was no, at that time in our lives, there was no um, unexpected trauma that we were just doing life. We had teenagers, life was crazy, busy, you know, your, your sweet little toddler start talking back to you, you know, so it's just all the things. But for some reason, I thought I deserved a special pass to, you know, be a little numb through all of it. Mm. And it's a dangerous, dangerous decision because once you hide it, it just it, it escalated very quickly and it went into years of hiding, nobody having any idea um, how much I drank. I had this secret life that no one knew about. And um, I worked in ministry, was a children's choir teacher. I mean, we were active in church. My husband was an elder. There was no way that these two lives in my mind could ever merge. And so in essence, you're kind of keeping you, you think that you're keeping your life separate from God. Like I have my life with God and I have my life without God because really you're ashamed. You don't want God to see that side and you tell yourself the lie that you are keeping it a secret and you will deal with it until it becomes bigger than you. Mm. Well, so tell me, was this, was it going on and just no one else noticed when you were at let's say you were at a party or just a gathering of friends, right? Where there's beer in the cooler. Mm -hmm. Or were you one of those people that you could just drink to the point and people didn't really notice that it was a lot because you didn't get really out of control? I was very, very good at hiding it. To go to an event like that, I would drink beforehand. So I was way ahead of everybody else um, before that. And a few years after um, I got sober, I read the description of a highly functioning alcoholic. And I was like, oh my gosh that was me. Mm. And 
so many people in our lives that, you know, weren't real close to us since they've read my book are like, I had no idea. Right. I had no idea. And the alcoholic in me is like, that was success, but really That's it right. wasn't, <laughs> you know, right. like, right. yeah, points for me, but it really didn't get me anywhere. But there were people that were close to us in our lives. I had some friends that confronted me about it, which actually just made me so angry because um, I felt judged, violated, even though they came at it from a place of love and right. concern, it was hard to hear. And I denied it. And I was so angry that I made it about them and what they had done to me, not what I was doing. So basically turn the tables. And if someone disagreed with my drinking or did something like that, I cut them out of my life as wow. easily as, you know, cutting a clipping out of a newspaper. I would just clip them out because they didn't, they were not serving me well. And I also, there was paranoia. They knew too much. And you also, you lost the ability to, when people confront you and you know they're watching your drinking, um, especially like my husband, you lose the right to drink in front of these people. Mm -hmm. So you start drinking even more secretively. Or, you know, there was a time in my life where I told everybody I quit, but really I had it. So now I'm drinking in front of no one and any drinking I'm doing is done secretly. Yeah, and, so now it's lying too. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, trying to keep track of your lies and the the drama that goes into it. Your mind is just consumed with the drinking every day. Will I, won't I, should I, you know, will they know? Did I cover it up? What did I say last night? I had a lot of blackouts and um, those are scary, mm -hmm. but um, I would have to be a detective the next day and try and figure out what I said or what I did. And, uh, you know, I was falling apart. My family, you know, really saw it, you know, especially my husband, but you become isolated. It's just easier to be alone yeah. and drink. And it's a sad way to live. Today's episode is sponsored by the 10 minute Bible hour podcast. The 10-Minute Bible Hour is a daily deep dive Bible podcast accessible to everyone. If you want to build consistent, thoughtful interaction with the Bible into your daily rhythm in a way that's fun and friendly and saturated with historical context, then the 10-Minute Bible Hour podcast is for you. This show is different. It works straight through entire books of the Bible one little chunk at a time, and it does the whole thing in a way that's human and genuinely funny. The 10-Minute Bible Hour podcast is built to welcome new listeners at any time, so you can start from the beginning or jump in with the current episode. Christians from any background, as well as non-Christians who just want to understand the Bible and their Christian friends and family better will love the show. The 10-Minute Bible Hour Podcast. It's the Bible without the sermon. You can find it at www.thetmbh.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. So one of my questions, too, is because I want this is more prevalent in Christian culture than we realize. I mean, you know that better than I know that. Um, mm -hmm. And I say that because I know myself personally, particularly when I was a young Christian, the struggle with that. Uh, praise God, not to the point of full-blown alcoholism, but same as you, definitely in my um, 
past family. There is genetics that is involved with all of that. And then just watching myself like, wow, when you choose this, you're going down a really bad path. And like I said, praise the Lord, it was not something that became daily. But the, mm-hmm. reason, why, the, the reason why I want to ask this question is because you can, be, you can have a huge problem and not necessarily get to the point where you're hiding it in your bathroom. Would you agree with that? Yes. Because okay. I believe, yeah, yeah go ahead, please expand. Like, I just want people to know, right? Like, cause there's ways you can hide it without, with it still being in your cabinet. Mm-hmm. And I don't want the person to, that is questioning their drinking to hear that and go, okay, I'm fine because she was hiding it. Right. She exactly. was, you know, I had vodka in a I'm water bottle. I'm not there. I'm not mm-hmm. there yet. I'm good. I'm good. But no, anything that occupies your mind and you're obsessing about it or you're worried about it. There's a saying, if you're questioning, if you have a drinking problem, you do because and my husband and I've had this discussion because he's totally a normal drinker. He can take it or leave it. And that's astounding to me. I don't, I don't get that. And if it would be, I've asked him, you know, have you ever asked yourself if you have a problem, you know, like, at a party or something, did you, were you like, I shouldn't have another? He said, no, never, never even thought about it. And that is the path of a normal drinker. And I feel like any stronghold that you worship more than God, or when it starts to take precedence over things you love, um, or things you love to do and robs you of that, or robs you of time with your family because you'd rather drink. Um, those are all warning signals. And you could be the binge drink. You know, I mentioned my husband was a big hunter. So if the only time that you get schnockered is when your husband's out of town or, you know, something right. like that, and you choose to binge drink, but the other 20 days, 30 days of the month, you're fine. Um, that's a problem. Mm. Or if there's someone that you, someone you can't stand to be with, or your, I don't know, a group or something like that, that you have to be a part of and say in business and you yeah. have to drink to get through the evening. You know, that's a sign. Anytime you use something to numb and protect you from facing something, um, that's a problem. So Ooh. there's many different ways to be um, addicted to alcohol. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I just think it is, it's so important for us to hear that it doesn't have to be the train wreck story right? Mm -hmm. For it to be an issue. Yeah. And kudos to you because a lot of people would never recognize that as a stopping time, you know? So, I mean, you, I, I look at you and go, um, you were blessed. You were lucky. Oh, I agree. Because, you know, you, you saved yourself from a whole lot of hurt. Yeah. I'm again, totally grateful to God because I know I've seen it in my family and, uh, Mm -hmm. It does. It destroys. That's what it does. It destroys for sure. But as you were talking about earlier, um, you know, you have friends who've read your book, which your book is called The Sober Cycle. Pedaling through recovery one day at a time. Yes, yes. And so we'll talk about that a little bit at the end, too. But for a second, I'm like, oh, wait, am I getting the title right? (laughs) But um, you talk about how people read your book and said, like, we had no idea. And so I think that's something we think we would be able to identify 
um, in our loved ones so easily all of these signs, but that's not necessarily the case. And so talk a little bit more about the secrecy. I mean, you've shared quite a bit, but, you know, are there any things that people really should be kind of looking out for? You know, what are some of those signs that should kind of trigger in us, whoo, something else may be going on here mm-hmm. than what I realize? If I were to watch for this in someone or be aware that something was up, one of the signs would be you have plans and they're always canceling at the last minute. That's kind of a big one. And the memory thing, um, they don't remember what you told them. Uh, that's That's a really big one. And just visibly too, I think there's some physical changes. You know, I look back at pictures and my my face is so bloated and it's oh, something you, you don't see in the moment but i am watching people in my life that are i know are struggling and they're not ready to talk about it yet but i can visibly see it mm. and that there always has to be alcohol uh, you don't right. meet them at a restaurant that doesn't have alcohol quite often i'll smell it on someone before you know like when we meet up and my first thought is you have to drink to be with me Mm. And I did that too. And I know that's not true. I don't have to drink to be with someone. I just had to drink to be. Mm. And, you know, um, when you have to, when you notice someone, every event involves alcohol, whether everybody else is drinking or not, and you're suspicious Mm. of it. And it doesn't take long. Once you notice one thing, you're going to notice more. And if you're aware of it, but the confrontation part of things is tricky. Right. Um, Because it will shut them out. Is that? It will shut them out. So as badly as there's a few people in my life I'd like to confront with this, I'm waiting for them to come to me because they know that, A, I've been through it, and B, there's no judgment here because I have been through it. But for them to do that, that's, that's a big step because that also, they're giving up their right to be a drinker basically. And that's a, that's a hard line, you know? So I remember telling somebody and thinking, I just lost the ability to ever drink with them again. Like that was the most important thing. But at the time it was, you know, or the time I told my husband, I'm scared I have a drinking problem. And I did that. I said it while I was drinking, but the next day I was so angry with myself for admitting that. And he said, you can't take that back. And you know, that was kind of the start of it. Right. Yeah. Well, and that leads into, I mean, after many failed attempts at sobriety, right? Like you had Mm -hmm. many attempts, something finally clicked. Something Mm -hmm. finally happened. Um, What set you on that path finally to freedom from addiction? I knew I was at the end of my drinking. Drinking was either going to take me or I was going to have to quit drinking. And I knew that for a couple of years. And yeah, I tried many, many things to quit. I went to AA, um, went to an outpatient program, you know, all secretly and all still while drinking, which is probably why they didn't work. But, um, <laughs> and um, some of the craziest things I did, I, I chronicle in my book. Um, the cycle part of my book comes from, I signed up for a fundraising bike trip to riding my bike from Michigan to Texas. And that was going to sober me up and doing that for all the wrong reasons. And um, I did it, but it didn't get me sober. And 
that's the cycle of addiction. You try and then you fall. And you, the longer, the more you fall, the longer you stay down every time. I had quit a few times and I thought I was surrendering, you know, the name of my ministry is She Surrenders because I really thought I was surrendering and that God was letting me down. Mm-hmm. When in essence, I, I didn't surrender anything. I was surrendering on my terms, just mm-hmm. like I, my drinking, my terms, my whole life, my terms. And the difference was instead of saying to God, you know, things like, I, I just want to go back to drinking like normal, you know, when I go to this oh. event, you know, help me to, to just put a lid on it when I need to, you know, or take away this craving or um, please don't let anybody find out or I'll only... I'll only drink beer, which is stupid because I didn't even like beer, you know, so or I drink two beers and then I think, why not drink something else, you know, so it was like, it was just a, a vicious, vicious, you know. Well, we have quite a way of justifying things in our own mm-hmm. mind, don't we? And then we blame it all on the enemy. And I'm like, listen, our flesh has as much to do with that as the enemy exactly. does. Exactly. both. I, I picture God just sitting on his, his throne and just saying, hey, everybody come here. She's got another one for me, you know? And, uh, you know, I would just come up, I just see myself like in front of a judge going, here's what I'm going to do. And and that wouldn't work in a courtroom either, you know, telling the judge what you're going to do. But that last time I had drank, I'll just say a scary amount of alcohol. And I had called a friend because I was scared and I knew I had alcohol poisoning and I, I was scared to be alone. She stayed with me, made me promise when my husband came home that I would tell him, and I did. And he issued me an ultimatum, and and he'd said before he was going to leave if I drank again. Mm. But this time he said, I will leave. I will, if you drink again, I will leave. I will not protect you, you know, from questions from the kids or anything like that. I will be brutally honest with anybody who asks me. But, um... He said, and if you do drink again and you choose, he says, I'm going to offer you rehab. And if you choose not to go to rehab, that's when I'm leaving. So he said, you know, you have a choice, but the first choice would be not to drink again. And I actually said, you know, I, I, I need to think about that. And yeah. I think that I was still struggling with, let me think about that and see how I can make this my idea, you know? Mm. And that next day I was home all day by myself and I was journaling and, you know, reading and just trying to figure this out. And I'd been in this position many times, but I felt this overwhelm of it's time to be done. I, it it was totally a God moment. And I was flat on my face on my living room floor, just crying out to God saying, you know what? I surrender. I'm done. I'll do whatever you want. And I'd never said that before. Mm, And the difference, there's the difference. I am drained. There is Mm. nothing. I want more of you, less of me. After that moment, I mean, I remember just sitting, I just sat in this chair all day, just kind of stunned by what had happened. And there was no hallelujah chorus or anything going on around me. I really thought there would be something a little dramatic, but I had this little ray of hope that thought that I was thinking maybe this time it's different. Mm. 
And then I went to, this time is different, not maybe. And I had no idea what that looked like. But when my husband came home, I told him about it. And I didn't get the reaction that I wanted. I mean, he'd been down this road so many times with me. Yeah. I said, I'm not going to drink again. And I even told him to buy a breathalyzer. I said, and I'd never said that before. And I, but we never needed it because I never did. I never drank again. And wow. was it like I was Pollyanna playing the glad game every day that I wasn't drinking right. anymore? Absolutely not. It was hard. But I had this hope. That hope just kept growing as my life got better and better. And I quit worrying about all the things that were coming, you know, like, how do I do this? Or what does this look like without drinking? And I just, you know, that expression one day at a time and just for today, those are really valuable tools to hang on to because I did a lot of work of just not going any further than today. But for today, mm -hmm. I, I know I'm not drinking, but I never felt in danger of drinking again. I was mm -hmm. never tempted again, which is not everybody gets that. Right. Um, that's, I feel like I got a bonus because I was sad that I couldn't drink. Like there were times when I would be like, dang it, I wish I could drink right now and be so frustrated, but it was not an option. It would never be an option again. And I say that with caution though, because I never want to get so secure right. in sober life to think that I could not be a target. Yep. I was recently with someone that relapsed after 12 years and it was it was very humbling and sobering to me because I was like I couldn't imagine. Right. But the devil will watch for any in that he can and he loves addiction. Addiction is something that will always be a part of me. Mm -hmm. So it will always be a weakness and I feel like I have to be careful of that. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So, whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, you've said that you feel like addiction is spiritual warfare at its finest. And I believe the devil is going to use it to his advantage every way he can. And so kind of expound on that just a little bit. There's two reasons, and they're directly from Scripture that I say that. Um, 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober-minded, uh, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And that's how I picture it. Mm -hmm. um, that in those moments of temptation, that's that's where he is. Um, no matter what that is. And that goes for any stronghold okay. in your life. I feel like that's his 
first the first thing on his list of well I can take this one down with this you know or anything like I said any stronghold but there was another verse that I've been it's been ruminating in my mind and it was um, it is 2nd Corinthians eleven fourteen, and it says and no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light and I look at that and theologists might disagree with me but this is how I interpreted the verse an angel of light well alcohol to me was fine and it was kind of a light like it's fine if I'm drinking it's not a problem and I feel like that's where it started and um, it was disguised in my life as something that wasn't going to be harmful to me until it wasn't mm-hmm. you know or until it became a problem so I feel like he uses addiction to get at our weaknesses mm-hmm. and once we're there and our brain says this works this mm-hmm. it clicks this is working for me and he's got us yeah. and it's not he also likes it because it's not a quick thing it's not a something you say I'm sorry and move on it's something that has you in its snare for a very long time mm-hmm. in the rest of your life well and something that you said earlier that also makes me be like oh yeah this is Satan's just glory ground, right? Is it leads you to isolation. Mm -hmm. And isn't that exactly where he thrives? If I can Mm -hmm. isolate you, then my job is done. Mm -hmm. If you don't tell anybody, you're going to stay here a lot longer. You know, I would often, I felt so addiction is lonely because yes, you isolate and you don't want anybody to know there's so much shame and as a christian as a christian woman i think i stayed silent even longer because now there's shouldn't i have known better um you're you're a woman of god and to be clear it took me a while to unpack that when i was you know sober and in doing the work that it takes Mm. to stay sober when i was drinking i felt like Every time I drank, I took another step away from God's plans for me. I didn't know what they were, but I knew that this was not his plan for me. But I also felt like when I picked up the bottle, God walked out. And that is simply not true. God was with me the whole time. When I was crying over the fact that I drank again and had let myself down or my family down and let God down, I know he was weeping right with me. Because that was not his plan for me. I was made for more. And I'm I'm not happy that I went through what I did or put the people I love through what I did. But I am grateful for what has become of it. Because I don't like to think about the woman that maybe I would have continued to be had I not got, you know, gone through addiction. Because I'm, I'm more aware of what life can be. And especially a life you know, with God. And if you would have told me that um, some of the things I do now, um, that that was going to be me, and this is only eight years later, right? I, I would have laughed. I would have said, that is so not me. You know, like on a Saturday night, talking to someone for an hour that's really struggling, you know, and, you know, praying with them. And, and that, that, that was not my Saturday night, believe me. Right. And, and I'm not, I'm not perfect in this by any way. I'm just doing what God is telling me to do. And I'm trying to be obedient. And I am not always obedient, believe me. 
but I am not drinking. And when I said, I will do whatever you want, I feel like God's like, uh, we're going to take that to a whole new level because I want you to talk about this. <laughs> so the very thing, like, you know, like, game, it. <laughs> it's like game on girl. Cause you said it, you know? And that's right. I was, it was so hard because I worked so hard to keep this a secret. Mm. It, even more than the drinking itself was the fact that I didn't want anybody to know what I wanted to do was fix this and move on. Mm. And that was and not going like to be the case. Mm. No. So when he first asked me to speak about it in my small town here, I was mortified and it was, I was asked through a friend and I, I'll never forget how scared I was. By the time I got home from that little event, I had four emails in my inbox saying, me too, me too. And that's what, that's the mistake we make as women of faith. We think that we need to hide it and fix it on our own when we didn't get here on our own either. That's right. And we need help to get out of it mm -hmm. and we need to own it and say, you know what, just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I'm exempt from this. If anything, I need more support than ever. Yeah. And I mean, there's a difference in like boasting in your sin and then putting your sin on the altar so that God can use it to be glorified. And we don't really talk about that enough. And I relate to what you're saying, because I remember when I was walking through depression and I still have depression, but when it was first like, okay, I've got to get help. Like this is not okay. And just wanting to hide behind that and not share it. And you're right. There it, that is so much the enemy wanting to like stifle you and keep your light under the, you know, the bowl for mm -hmm. lack of better words in churchy terms, keep the light under yeah. the bowl. Because like, once I finally started sharing it, you're exactly right. I mean, I'll get emails now if I talk about it on a podcast and they're like me too. And I can, I'm so glad you shared that it wasn't you know, you're not the train wreck story. I didn't grow up with all this crazy amounts of trauma in my life. Like people mm -hmm. think I totally have it all together, mm -hmm. but I was like dying on the inside. Um, yeah. And then you talk about it and it's like, oh, wow, God is, this is him using it. Mm -hmm. You know, you just said that about, you know, depression is dark. And I went through a horrible depression um, after my, my brother was killed when I was mm -hmm. 28 and he was 24. I went through a horrible depression. Mm -hmm. And to me, I look back and go, that's a, that's a depression you should not be ashamed of. Everybody mm -hmm. should have been able to understand. That's right. But I still didn't want anybody to know because I'm watching other members of my family who loved them just as much as me. And they were doing, they were moving on. They were doing life better than what I was. Mm -hmm. And I took that as a sign of weakness. Like, why, why can't you pick yourself up? And we were all hurting, you know, no, no mistake about that, but we all handle things differently. But what did I do in that time? I stopped going to church, you know, the very place where people wanted to surround me in that. And there's a difference between losing someone in your church family, wanting to come around you and they know about it. It's out there. Mm -hmm. But when I was drinking and the addiction was at its peak, I didn't want anybody at church to know. Mm. And I quit going to church as much as possible because I I felt like there, I, I often say, you know, I sat in the pew of shame mm. when I was there. Mm -hmm. Because again, as a, as a woman of faith, I should have known better. Mm. And the secrecy alone 
is just as damaging as the addiction itself. Yeah. And until you expose it to the light and you do that by telling somebody mm-hmm. or, you know, getting the help you need. But if you keep it in the dark, it's going to stay dark. Your life mm-hmm. is going to stay dark. But enemy does not want us to do is expose it to the light. Mm-hmm. It's know? so true. And it feels like your whole world is going to fall apart if you expose it. And it might. It might. Um, but that's coming at some point or another, right? Oh, yeah. You've got to fall apart to be put back together. Mm-hmm. Eventually, I realized that I really liked how God was putting me back together. Mm. And, you know, like with writing, when I, I've wanted to write a book since I was, I've been a reader and a writer since I was a little girl. And I never knew what to write about. I struggled with that for so many years, you know, like you should write. I remember my husband buying me a typewriter. And for, you know, those of you that have no idea what that is, um, (laughs) it's a big piece of equipment that makes a lot of noise and you have to use whiteout a lot. But I remember he was like, honey, I I know you want to write. And this was like when we were first married. And that thing was like a... I felt like I was carrying it around with me wherever I go because I had this burden of, you know what to write. Mm, and you wanted to. It was in your heart. I wanted to. Eventually, I realized that God gave me a story. Yeah, I did a lot of stupid, crazy things, but they make for a good story. That's for sure. <laughs> and, um, you know, so it's not just the usual book of, woe is me, I drank too much as a Christian woman. It's like, woe is me, but look at all the stupid crap I did yeah. to try and get out of this because I always thought I'll get out of this. Like Mm -hmm. I can do this and nobody will know that was my thing. And if you're thinking, you know, wonder how bad her drinking was. (laughs) I always say that drinking stories, especially in recovery are like labor stories with women. Like mine was worse. No, mine was worse. I'm just here to tell you it was a really long labor. It was hell. And I was not just drinking too much wine at book club. It was right. Um, that last year, it was a daily intake wow. of vodka just to just to survive, oh. and and it is a slow fade like that, right? Like it, it doesn't is. you don't just wake up drinking a fifth of vodka. You're like, oh, Mm-mm. I I had a drink at a party, and then it's oh, I'm drinking before I go, and then it's like you said, you hide it, and then before you know it, it's a whole fifth mm-hmm. a day. Yeah, and that's that's the part that the devil does so well mm-hmm. because you know, like you just said, it's not a decision. It's it's something that you realize when it's too late mm-hmm. and you're already in it and you think that you can get out of it. You can, but not the way you're thinking. That's you right. Not by it. you controlling the situation. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It turns into being obedient and saying every day, what do you want me to do? Yeah. What do you want me to do today, God? And I always like to point out too that even though those last couple of years, the drinking was bad. There was healing taking place. Mm-hmm. I was learning. Um, I was trying to figure this out and, and God was working in me. And I look back at what I journaled and what I wrote and what I was reading. And it was his timing. All those things had to happen to get me to where I am today. Because if it quitting was easy, there'd be no story. Mm-hmm. There'd be, I got caught and I quit end of story. And my story continues, you know, it, it, it continues to unfold more and more every day. Yeah. Well, if somebody is listening to this and they're like feeling just what you said, they've had to ask the question before, am I drinking too much? 
-hmm. What are some practical steps for someone who's kind of like, okay, I, I need to, I need to get sober. Well, I feel like in today's world, especially because of COVID, you could go to a meeting online. You don't have to walk into a church basement anymore mm -hmm. and you could find a group that suits you. You can tell somebody, I always say, just tell somebody mm -hmm. and, and talk to them. And maybe they're not the person that's going to help you, but they're going to walk alongside you. And I mean, I think the first thing I would say to them though, is I am so sorry that this is happening to you, but you're not alone. Mm. And that there's a community waiting for you. I've been on a lot of podcasts that aren't faith-based mm -hmm. and someone always reaches out to me after those and say, I've, I'm looking for someone another Christian woman that was in my shoes or that is in my shoes because we're hard to find. Wow. And that was what I was doing. I was Googling Christian woman, faith, addiction. I couldn't find anybody. And there's more of us now, but that just tells you that you're not alone yeah. and that you want, you're, you're hungry for information as to how someone else recovered or you, you know, you listen to everything, you read everything, and you're looking for that magic answer. Kind of like when you know, you're in the checkout line and the headline is, I started walking and lost 87 pounds. I'm like, that's it, that's it, there it is, you know? And you open the, and you read the article and it's like, not quite. Yeah, But like. there is, yeah, there, just like weight loss, there is no magic answer. That's right. But there is a way, mm -hmm. there is a way, and I believe the way is by taking God's hand and not letting go mm. and finding a community that supports that. So if you're a woman of faith and you're listening to this and you are just astounded that you fell this far, reach out, talk to me. We have faith-based groups of women um, from day one to, you know, day thousands. And together we're growing, we're honoring God in this, and we're learning how to do life a lot better. And um, I always say too, you were made for more. Don't stay there because you were made for more. And you have been chosen to ride, rise above this. I say that often in our groups, you've been you were chosen for this. It stinks right now, but you were chosen for this because the voices need to be heard. Yeah. Well, so as we close out here, tell everybody you have groups. It's at shesurrenders.com, correct? Yes. They go there. What's that first step? Just send a message. Um, what can they expect if they go there? If they go there, you can, first of all, just poke around. Any of um, speaking that I've done, there's a lot of, not all of them, but there's a lot of them um, on there to listen to. There's podcasts of women telling their story. There's over 200 blog posts you could read and you learn more about who I am and what I doing recovery and how I live every day to stay in recovery and, and just um, handling situations. So there's so many topics to choose from. But if you're looking for that connection, um, you can schedule a phone call with me and we'll talk through what, what would be great next steps for you, depending on where you are in your um, recovery or thinking about recovery. Um, we have a private group that can click on as well called joyful surrender and when you click on that there's um, directions on how to get involved with the group and that is for women who are newly sober 
Um, it's not a place to get sober and I have to, that's only been, that's kind of been defined this past year. Like don't come to this group and want to be convinced to get sober. You Decide you want to be sober. We have lots of people come on day one and that's okay. But you're coming because you want to be, um, have other women walk alongside you mm-hmm. in recovery. Yeah. And you will get to the place where you are that voice telling someone else you can do this, you know? So together we're just so much stronger and united as women of God. That's and right. it's amazing. I love our meetings. They are not work. They are amazing. And the groups, um, the group is small for a reason because, you know, it's not made for everybody. And that's where we have true community. So mm-hmm. I yeah. love small groups. Like people are I always like, too. grow, grow, grow. And I'm like, Mm-mm. I know that's great because no. it means you're reaching more people. But if you grow, you need to split like in a good way. Exactly. <laughs> so. Exactly. And I always say too, you know, there's lots of groups out there. If you just want to read or observe, um, there's Facebook groups. My group is not on Facebook. It's through my website mm-hmm. and it's a forum a lot like um, in the Joyful Surrender, it's a forum a lot like Facebook, but it's not on Facebook. Mm-hmm. But if you do, do, you know, my groups, you have to be active in. You yeah. you don't get to just sit back and read and be quiet because mm. you need to be involved. We need the accountability too, don't we? Exactly. Well, and then Sober Cycle can be found, I'm assuming, Amazon, all the places. Is that correct? Yep. It's, it's everywhere. And what I love about the book was, of course, well, you know, I wrote it. It's my story. But... Everyone that reads it that, you know, is a woman either or usually a woman that's, you know, caught in addiction mm. says, oh, my gosh, I never realized anybody else could feel this way. Like, wow. you know, you're, you're speaking you're speaking to someone else's heart directly. But I also think it's good for, you know, I've had a lot of men write me and say, I understand my wife so much better now. Thank you. You know, yeah. or I understand my mom so much yeah. better now the addict in the family affects everybody and it's it's a family disease for a reason but um if you if you know me or you've heard me speak i tell my story with honesty and humor yeah. because a lot of we things we all I need did to are, laugh a little yes and a lot of things that i did are very laughable so <laughs> you know and um What's funny doesn't change whether you're a Christian or whether you're not. So I don't know why as believers we feel like we got to put all these things in like separate boxes. But I'm like, won't y'all chill out and laugh a little bit? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Because I I listened to like the very first speaking engagement I did and it was so heavy. It was so not me. It was, I was a woman of faith caught in addiction, you know, and now I'm like, hey, I did some really stupid things, you know? <laughs> yep, I was a train wreck and I didn't think anybody saw it, but they did, you know? That's so right. it just, life is good in recovery and um, I wouldn't have it any other way. And that can be the case for anybody who's listening to. If you think I'm not capable of that, you're wrong. And I'd love to talk to you more about it. Well, Sherry, thank you so much for allowing God to use your story to impact his kingdom. Um, I'm grateful. Well, thank you, Amber, for letting me talk on your platform and again, to share what God can do. Don't forget to join Grace Enough community. You can press pause and join now by clicking the link at the top of today's episode notes or by visiting graceenoughpodcast.com. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast.
Tune in next time.